Hi, welcome to the Inspired Painter Podcast. My name is Jessica Libor, and I am a Philadelphia-based artist, curator, and art professor, as well as artist coach. In this podcast, I cover topics vital to the success of emerging and established artists, like inspiration, mindset, art business relationships, and artist career strategy. You'll also hear interviews from art world luminaries who share their wisdom. My goal for this podcast is for you to feel encouraged, inspired, and in control of your art career, and to help you become the best artist that you can be. Hello, Fiona. How are you today? Hi, I'm fine, Jessica. It's so good to see you. Thank you for making time early in the morning. Um, what time is it in Australia? It's half past six in the morning. Oh my goodness. And <laughs> you look so like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and ready to go. I admire Two that. Two cups of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Um, Fiona, uh, Fi- I'm here with Fiona Valentine. Fiona is a um, artist creativity coach um, and business coach for artists. And um, so we have a lot of overlap and I thought that we could have some great discussions. And um, yeah, I can't wait to hear more about your story. Um, I know you have a very interesting story. So um, why don't you just tell people very briefly what you do right now in your business uh, for a business coach for artists? I help artists paint for fun and for profit, even if they've never sold any of their work before. And I do that through a 90-day coaching program called the Profitable Artist Method. You and I really share a passion for helping artists to own their entrepreneurial selves as part of their creativity. Mm -hmm. So I really support artists to do that because often we're left to figure that out for ourselves and we don't have to do it that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And your work is very beautiful. I see you have a landscape behind you. Um, That's such a gorgeous piece. Purple is my favorite color. And I just, I love looking at it. So where is that piece? Yeah. It's actually not from one of my own reference photos. I love to paint water scenes. I often paint lakes. Uh, There's an area near us, well, not too far called Eildon. And Mm -hmm. I love the Murray River, which divides our Mm -hmm. state from the from New South Wales above it and I spent time living there as a girl so Mm -hmm. that sort of really still water really speaks Mm -hmm. to me and I I love to paint scenes like that. Yeah wonderful and so um, I'm curious are you where in Australia are you are you in a more like um, busy city or are you more like in the countryside? I'm in suburbia in Melbourne which is right in the south the southeast and we're one of the largest cities in Australia. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so how's the art scene there? I've never been to Australia. So I'm curious. Well, Melbourne really vies with Sydney for, you know, who's got the, the most rich art scene, but Melbourne's really well known as mm-hmm. well, I would say the cultural capital of Australia. So there is um, a, a strong art scene here, but mm-hmm. we're a lot smaller than y- the US. So mm-hmm. it's really quite different. Even when you see our cities, uh, I've lived in the US before and when we travel when we come back our cities look so tiny by comparison oh, really interesting yes um in terms of large buildings but mm-hmm. there's a very culturally rich environment here of mm-hmm. the arts restaurants all that sort of thing and um so there are actually a lot of 
artists and galleries and things going on events going on in Melbourne often Mm, very cool well I hope to someday make it down there it sounds amazing I watched um I watched a film called I think it was called Australia with Nicole Kidman oh yeah I've seen it (laughs) (laughs) yes um I mean I'm curious why you laugh because I was like oh wow this is amazing the landscapes in that film or like yeah it's really beautiful and that's more outback northern Australia I spent time living there as a child and it's it's almost like a completely different country in terms of its look and its feel um it we're much more temperate here in the south and so we have it's a lot more green there are forests things like that oh but the outback landscape is just breathtaking in that wide open space very rugged very red Mm. Um, I laughed because Australia is such an over-the-top tongue-in-cheek sort of mm-hmm. uh, playful look, mm-hmm. exaggerated look at Australian life. Okay. Uh, not, <laughs> yeah. So there's the humor yeah. there. We're yeah. laughing at yeah. ourselves in that movie. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. But the, the landscapes, I mean, the landscapes don't change that much. It's like watching yeah. something um, like a documentary about like uh, Yellowstone or something. I mean, there's not, unless there's huge amounts of development, nothing much changes. Um, yeah. from like the 1800s, which is when I believe the film was supposed to be set in or something. Um, yeah, but yes, that film made me want to visit Australia. So yeah, it's, and it's exciting if you can get to travel and see both the coast and the outback and then the more temperate environments. It's yeah. such a diverse country. We're so huge. It's, mm-hmm. it's nice to visit the, the different aspects of it. Yeah. I, I like to reflect that yeah. in my painting. Yeah, yeah, I was looking at your paintings. And you said that um, you lived in the United States for a while. So tell us about that. Actually, why don't we just go back and talk about your journey? Because I know that you lived in Africa for a while, right? That's right. Yeah, so I would love to hear more about your journey, um, just as a human, and then kind of how art uh, came into your life. Yeah, because it's quite a long interconnected journey as most of our lives are (laughs) yeah the older we live the longer they get but I uh I went overseas hopefully the plan was to go between my high school years and university and Mm -hmm. and travel and I wanted to travel with some purpose to it so I took a six-month position in Nigeria in West Africa teaching Mm -hmm. kids to read oh wow wonderful it, it was a wonderful time. It was, it was hard, but it was so eye-opening and the kids were just fantastic. I loved them. Mm-hmm. The work that I was doing with a little pilot program with these 12 children, teaching them to read, it expanded. And I ended up working with 60 kids, six staff, helping them use the program that, oh, wow. um, that I had grown up with. Yeah. Uh, it was a particular kind of curriculum that mm-hmm. they wanted to mm-hmm. use in their school. Mm-hmm. So I was showing them how to use the curriculum, teaching 60 kids to read and six staff how to use this linguistics program. Right out so of high was school a lot of, Right out of high school. Wow. I was working with another couple, an older couple, um, but she really didn't love to teach. So as time went by and she could see that I loved to teach, I'd grown up with a teacher mm-hmm. and I, I enjoyed what I was doing. So more and more she handed over responsibility to me. And these other six teachers were terrific. They were really just mm-hmm. learning from me, but they knew how to run a classroom too. Mm-hmm. So we had a good time together. Mm-hmm. And during that time, because this work expanded, I stayed for an extra few months. So I was there for 10 or 11 months altogether. Wow. Mm-hmm. And during the last few months, I met my husband. Oh, exciting. <laughs> 
it was very exciting. We, our time in Africa only overlapped by a couple of months, mm -hmm. but during that time we realised we had a really deep bond. Mm -hmm. So he promised to follow me to Australia when his year of study was up. He was studying at a seminary in the same town where I was working. Oh, so wow. he came to Australia and, you know, visas being what they are, we realised partway through this nine months of being apart yeah. that if we wanted to be together again and get married, we were going to have to get separated again because of the visa situation so long yeah. story short <laughs> we bravely got a fiance visa okay so he came to australia and by that stage we had about 10 weeks before the wedding date that nobody actually knew existed <laughs> because oh we were engaged Wait, it so was this a, is like the real life version of 90 day fiance it really was <laughs> because we we wanted to be together after such a long gap because we'd only been together for a couple of months in right. Africa right. and we wanted to make sure this felt right in yeah, a different a context yeah huge yeah he was leaving Hawaii <laughs> it was oh, a huge wow. commitment yeah. yeah so uh we did it did feel right we got married mm -hmm. and it actually became really difficult because he's a um, cardiopulmonary technician and that position didn't even exist in Australia the medical system had no idea what to do with him mm. so work was a real problem so mm. we ended up going and living in Texas preparing to go back to Africa a position oh. opened up there for us okay so yeah I, I absolutely loved living in Texas I did that uh, we were there for about a year mm -hmm. and then we went back and worked in an international school in Nigeria Mike was youth pastoring kids and I was running a kindergarten for expatriate kids. Mm -hmm. We ended up transferring about a year and a half later and lived in the bush. And our first baby bush. arrived, wow. well, in a very remote area of Niger, which is just south of the Sahara. We okay. lived in a mud village. Wow. A very small village. And because we worked with nomads, we took our four-wheel drive out into the bush, slept on the open sand, um, which was absolutely beautiful. It's so dry there. You can do that there aren't very many mosquitoes and the stars are incredible mm. so during that time obviously in such an extreme environment I was seeing a lot of poverty and suffering and it was quite confronting and yeah. in that context like I knew I was a creative person I'd always drawn and painted I had some really good training in high school mm. But I just felt like that part of myself uh, seemed really self-indulgent. Mm. Um, at this stage, I was 23. I had a baby. Mm -hmm. um, I'd lived in four countries by this stage. Wow. Life was happening yeah. really fast. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't have anyone in my world to say, no, no, no. Mm -hmm. Your cre creativity is a really deep part of who you are. Don't set that aside. In fact, the women in your world out here, they're not setting it aside. Oh, you really? don't need to either. No, they're constantly drawing on, they have, you've probably seen them, calabashes, which are like a half melon they use as bowls. Hmm. And the Widabi people that we worked with, they decorate them beautifully. They use um, razor blades often to cut into the side and rub sort of a black ink in there, which oh, is just charcoal most of the time. Yeah. But make these beautiful patterns. They stitch their clothing with embroidery all along the edge. They're very creative, even in that stark environment very yeah. interested in beauty this episode is sponsored by the luminary artist academy the luminary artist academy is a six-month 
self-paced transformational course for contemporary realist feminine artists to blossom into the higher level of professional success from the inside out. The Luminary Artist Academy was written for you. As an artist myself who has been through the dark night of my own soul and through the thickets of my own limiting beliefs, in order to come out on the other side, I feel the struggle and I know where you are. I know the desires that you feel and the frustration at feeling like they are out of reach, and I have discovered the keys to unlocking your own potential and totally transforming the reality of your creative practice and your experience as an artist in a very short time after doing it myself. And I wrote the Luminary Artists Academy to share this process with you. So the Luminary Artist Academy is a comprehensive, detailed, step-by-step -step course that takes you on an odyssey through the inner chambers of your heart and soul to your creative practice and out into the world where you shine your confident feminine light as a luminary in your field. This course supports you every single step of the way to guide you into stepping into your highest version of yourself within your artistic career and your life. Don't let another year go by just thinking about it and without taking action. Being in limbo, saying next time or I'll do it later, is the reason why you feel like you're spinning your wheels and staying stuck. By doing the same things in the same way, you'll likely be in the same place you are now, six months from now, if you don't take action. Take the first steps today to believe in a different future for yourself. The gallery shows, press celebrating your work, and sales pouring in from your art is what you know you are meant for and what you ultimately deserve. Your most aligned artistic career is waiting for you. It's time to believe in yourself and value your dreams. I believe in you. Explore the course via the link in the show notes or at www.thevisionaryartistsalon.com. But I couldn't see the obvious mm -hmm. at that time. And I didn't realize what a difference it was going to make to my mental health, mm -hmm. uh, to being away from all of the other supports in my life. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't really until we came back to Australia and after a few years, uh, I had two girls by this stage mm -hmm. and I was homeschooling them and I started to recover my creativity and mm -hmm. this yearning to get back to drawing and painting. I really made it a priority and mm -hmm. I did some classes in fact I borrowed every book in my local library on painting and explored I made some terrible paintings in the beginning <laughs> we all have we all have as part of the journey isn't it <laughs> yes. yes I was just it's hungry get to the good to ones. you have to do the bad ones exactly it's empowering isn't it to know <laughs> we all go on that road yeah, I also found uh, the Australian Guild of Realist Artists here in Australia, mm -hmm. and I did some winter classes, um, mm -hmm. master classes with them, and that was fantastic. I had an artist teacher who had been trained in the older way of an apprentice style mm -hmm. classical training, and so that was just yeah. eye opening and transformative. Yes, I have. I had a similar experience when I. Uh, when I first went to Florence Academy and I learned like all the ways to prepare a painting and like how to draw like in a classical way it was totally eye-opening even after having getting you know a lot of other art instruction this seemed like 
I was like soaking it up. It was like, this is what I've been lo looking for, you know, as far as the technique. Um, for did sure. you feel the same way? Absolutely felt the same way. Yeah. And later discovered barb drawing and just the, I love the whole idea that, wow, there are things to be learned. Mm -hmm. I can stand on the shoulders of others and there's a way yes. to do this mm -hmm. that gets me that for me. Mm -hmm. There's something about realism. There's something about the beauty appearing on the paper or appearing on the canvas. That's where the buzz is mm -hmm. for me. Yes. Yes. And also like for me, it's also about the challenge because it's not super easy it's yeah. to get that look, that looking right in, in a realist way. Um, uh, because people will, will be able to tell if it doesn't look right in a realistic mm. way. So um, yeah, I guess part of Part of it for me is like the challenge of can I do it and how to make it better and all that. Yeah, for sure. And I it really empowered my teaching too because when when I was painting on the side, I had also after a time my girls went to school and I got a job, and it, it was a really frustrating time actually. I was in my probably mid thirties by this stage and. Mm -hmm. I'd been homeschooling for years and because of our unusual life path, I didn't have that teaching degree and I wasn't qualified. I had a diploma, but wasn't really qualified to do anything I really wanted to do. I didn't want to be in the classroom in a regular school setting. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I got an admin job and I learned a lot about business. I did a diploma of business management and I was painting on the side, realizing more and more I love this. <laughs> I want to do yeah. this more. How yeah. can I do it? And I, I got some advice that, well, you should teach because selling painting is really hard. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I don't agree with that anymore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't, but at the time it worked for me because I'm a teacher at heart. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the more that I've gone on uh, using those classical training frameworks has been so helpful in helping others see it's, it's not about talent. It's mm -hmm. about skill and skill something you can control because you can learn and you can practice. Mm, yes, that's so true. There's a book that I read a couple of years ago. It's called Talent is Overrated. And it's about um, like basically they, they went into all the quote talented people. Well, a, a range of different industries like um, like math, science, um, art, uh, music was a big one and then athletic performance and how like people call these people talented but like the amount of work that they put into developing their talent is like is like you know like a full-time job um and for sure realize that and they just see like oh they're so much talented more talented than me no they just actually put the hours in and did something called deliberate practice which is where you um you practice but you have somebody there to kind of correct you so that you don't keep yes. doing the same wrong thing again and again. It's yeah. so important. And mm -hmm. it's amazing when you realize that talent versus training and practice dynamic, you realize how often people say, oh, you're so talented. Mm -hmm. When in actual fact, what they really mean, what they're really observing is, oh, you're so well trained. Yeah. Yeah. You're, right. you're so practiced <laughs> at your yeah. skill. Mm -hmm. That's often what we're observing. We're just mislabeling it. Yeah. And that I think that's really powerful. And as I've worked with artists in breaking down the things that I've enjoyed so much to learn mm -hmm. and making them accessible, because it's one thing to paint, having been trained at the Florence Academy mm -hmm. and continuing that style, 
And it's another thing to be perhaps someone who's got a full-time job and they're practicing their creativity on the side and their time is really limited Mm -hmm. or they're just putting their toe in the water of learning to paint and they're wanting something that's more accessible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I've taken some of those classical skills and given people a very simple version where they Mm -hmm. can see some of that realism coming Mm -hmm. to life. Mm -hmm. And and that's been really satisfying. I think I've realised that the teacher in me is mm-hmm. even stronger than the artist in me. They're, they're competing loves, yeah. competing for my time. I mean, yeah. Now, when you were in high school, did you already have an interest in art? Yes, I did. I had a strong interest and thankfully that was nurtured. Mm. My mum really, uh, both my parents really encouraged that. I still have the paint box, oil paints she bought me when I was 12. Oh, that's And she arranged for it. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> she arranged for um, an artist to come and do classes with us in the little mm-hmm. school that we were in. And he taught us how to draw from life. Mm-hmm. We didn't draw, we didn't really do life drawing, but we did work from small models. They might be rabbits or, <laughs> you know, a, a still life or something like that. Right. But we were actually drawing from observation. And mm-hmm. um, I still have some of those drawings that I did with him okay. and yeah so you you already knew like when you were very young that you liked it so it's I did yeah Yeah. kind of like a slow blossoming I feel like too like sometimes as an artist so there's like have you heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs Mm -hmm. so like there is something to be said for like when you feel stable and secure then you're able to create to a higher level and you actually see this in societies too, like the more stable, like a society, a government, um, you know, the more stable and safe people feel, the more that they can take their attention away from just surviving and put their attention more on like building something beautiful and like, um, and using their creativity to a higher level because they don't have to worry so much about like these other things that they need you know, to these needs that they have, like as a human. What do you think? It's so true. I think that was a part of what was there in my own confusion about my creativity, feeling Mm. self-indulgent is I was noticing that hierarchy of needs that the women around me were having to spend an enormous part of their day, many of them, Mm -hmm. just getting water. Yeah. Wow. Just gathering, making food for the family. Mm -hmm. And I knew that my hierarchy of needs was different. And I had a privilege of being able to have somebody to help in my house. I mean, you really needed it to survive if you were going to live in a house that needed cleaning where the mm-hmm. sand from the Sahara blew in, you have to sweep it off the table. And Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't have electricity. Um, so washing is, you know, all very laborious, all of that sort of thing. I think that played into my mm-hmm. awareness of I'm living a privileged existence mm-hmm. that not everybody in my village does. Yeah. And it felt like, yeah, it was just a very confusing thing to say, how, how <laughs> I'm living very differently here. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. so true that when our time is freed up, we can go deeper. And you do, you see that when you study history, when you study migration, you right. study societies, mm-hmm. the, the freedom to stop worrying about collecting water mm-hmm. translates into higher mm-hmm. forms of using our creativity. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. That's why, I mean, like, I'm thinking of um, like in France in like 1900, like the Victorian era, when there was like an explosion of arts, it was because like their in their industry was flourishing and like people had the 
ability to think about art and not worry about other things. So yeah, that's so true. And that it reminds me, I went to a presentation this week, um, slightly off topic, but a lot of artists feel guilty um, when there are, you know, natural disasters or humanitarian crisis. And they feel that like, why, you know, I feel like I'm superfluous or like art, you know, art doesn't really help these people. But, um, you know, I went to a talk um, this week about that, that a woman gave who, um, who went over there and she was an artist. She went, I'm sorry, she went to Ukraine. She went to Ukraine to the border of Ukraine and Poland, where a lot of people are coming in as refugees. And she went to help. So she helped um, by, um, you know, helping out with like this center there that they have for like, um, like food. And she would meet them at the train station and bring them back to the center where there would be, you know, a safe place for the families who are coming in from Ukraine to rest and figure out their next move. Um, and <clears throat> And she, you know, she showed a lot of pictures and she described like um, the state people were in when they got there and just how, how they were able to help meet their basic needs. But then um, she was also an artist, which I didn't know when I went to this um, presentation, but she was also an artist. And um, she showed the, these paintings that she did while she was there of, um, you know, just her feelings about the war and then about um, having some place to take refuge from and then about the love um, of the world, like covering the Ukrainian people. And they brought me to tears, like the paintings that she did and she did them, they were just simple watercolors, but you could tell that the intention, it just gave me chills. Like it had such a, um, like a tender beauty to it. And it really communicated so much that words, you know, couldn't. And, and while she was there, she also um, shared that she was able to do these portraits of the kids that came to the center. Like she, she was tasked with like watching the kids for part of the day. And so she would, um, she would do portraits of kids because she's like, well, that's, you know, I know what to do. And the kids were like very entertained by it. They got to take them. And um, she had like, she had a mother come up to her and be like, um, you know, so tearful and thankful and who said like, I want my child to remember, to have something to remember, you know, something happy from this time. Yeah. And um, just for artists to remember that like, art is not superfluous. It's such a unique human um, drive and communi communication and it, it transcends our physical um, needs, I think. Um, yes, yeah, it does. And that challenge of how do I see my significance in a world that's hurting? Right. That was absolutely the struggle that I had. Mm -hmm. And it's, it comes up for artists a lot and understanding the value that we bring really helps us to not try to be somebody else, mm, not yeah. try to meet a different need, but to understand what we bring to the world right. and the unique role that each of us have. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. In our particular place, because that artist's story is amazing. And yet we can't all do that. In fact, we may, it, it wouldn't be helpful if we all did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there right. are other things that need to be done. And that was her work. Mm -hmm. And our work may be making art that means for the families who buy and live with our paintings, mm -hmm. that as they're wrestling with what they're seeing on the news, 
Mm -hmm. Art is contributing to the nurture and the restoration and the joy and the healing of that family as they try to live in a troubled world. It may be that our art is in a healthcare environment Mm -hmm. where families are dealing with illness, with trauma, with death, Mm -hmm. and the comfort of beauty Mm-hmm. there in that environment is absolutely powerful very powerful I had a um I've had I have some amazing collectors but there's this one collector and um they bought a piece of I did a um a collage piece of a angel and um it's a very small piece and they bought it and um they she later told me that they bought they brought it to the hospital for um, the birth of their grandchild as she's like I just felt like it was watching over as like you know my daughter was giving birth and I was like oh my goodness that's so meaningful you know Um, that even you know that that your art can actually it can give people that sense of solace that sense of hope and um, yeah we can we can focus our vision to create something tangible that other people can then, you know, um, use to focus their own emotions, and it's really powerful. Yes, it, it is. And understanding yourself as an artist and the kind of work that you make mm. is a big part of understanding your own story. Mm. And I think not not feeling like mm-hmm. dealing with suffering or dealing with poverty are the only callings in the Mm -hmm. world they're not they're really really important but in the same way that we're not all called to be surgeons (laughs) we're not all called to make a particular kind of art Mm -hmm. so if you if the kind of art that you're making is whimsical or light-hearted or just beautiful as if there was any such thing as just beautiful right if you're feeling less somehow just stop because that's not likely to be true Mm-hmm. If you're doing the thing that comes naturally to you and your personality and your story and your wiring and your situation, there mm-hmm. is a role for that kind of art. There are people who need that, who want that, who love that. So diving a little deeper into the kind of art you really want to make mm-hmm. and the value that it brings and really getting some of those mindset things sorted in your head yeah. is going to help you stand with posture and mm-hmm. price your work well and offer it in the right setting and just not be swung around by those very natural feelings. Oh my goodness, there's hurt out there. I've got to do something. Right. Yeah. Probably what you need to do is be you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and also like, um, even if you, let's say that you feel very moved, I mean, you can always do like fundraisers with your art as well. Um, if you feel moved to something, um, but I would love to talk a little bit about what we were going to talk about, um, which is building your business. Um, as an artist at the same time as building your body of work. So um, I know we had talked about like, that's the topic we're going to do. So I, I would love to hear your thoughts on that and what your, um, what you, what advice you give to artists who are kind of like starting from that place of they don't have any clients and they just started painting and they want to, um, they want to be able to grow at the same time as build their business and also have like, an artistic body of work that they're proud of and it's a big thing because Mm -hmm. developing your style developing your body of work Mm -hmm. um, it's a lifetime's work really isn't it oh it is it doesn't end ever (laughs) so once you've 
got an idea of your skills. You've got some of those fundamentals down and you are starting to create in a reasonably consistent way. And that may be very early on. If you do the work of saying, who am I? What do I love most? There isn't time to do everything. Mm. And I don't even need to learn to paint every kind of style subject to really call myself an artist. Sometimes Mm. we go on that journey and it's really about feeling less. It's really about imposter syndrome. Yeah, You just don't need to go there. You can take stock of who you are and what you most love and choose a focus very early on. Mm-hmm. And then you can share that journey of growth with those who love what you do and can't wait to buy it. Mm-hmm. So in the Profitable Artist Method, I, I teach starting off with clarity mm-hmm. and get, asking yourself some questions. How much time do I want to spend? And this is a big question. If, you're, if you paint and you've been trained in the classical tradition, you need to be really careful about how long your work takes to create. And if you're wanting to sell your work, you may need to find ways of working that are not so time consuming, Mm -hmm. as well as the more time consuming versions Mm -hmm. of of what you create. So how much time do you want to spend? How much time does the art you love really take? Mm -hmm. How much money do you want or need to make? And this is an important question too. If you're looking at the fundraising options that we talked about, if you choose to go down that path, you need to be careful about what that's doing to your own income and your own needs and responsibilities. And just because there is need and you're an artist doesn't mean you have to work for free or that a fundraising model can't also be meeting the needs that you have. So how much time, how much money? And then what do I really love to create subject-wise, medium wise style and size what's really me what am I enjoying the most and then where those three things overlap yeah looking at that and what is the highest value offer I can create in that sweet spot the magic Venn diagram yes (laughs) Uh, it's so clarifying because you realize oh this thing I was thinking about doing or this thing that somebody said hey you should blah 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 Mm -hmm. you suddenly realize that's never going to generate the numbers the profit that you need to be a sustainable business and this is part of the transition is you're thinking of yourself as that artist entrepreneur Mm -hmm. when you've identified that then I encourage my clients to work in collections Mm -hmm. so if you're timing wise you could start off with a really small collection Mm -hmm. but when you work in a collection maybe it's six pieces Mm And maybe it's not your most ultra time consuming style, mm-hmm. but it's you've worked out the timing and you're developing your creative process based on that, that goal that you identified. This mm-hmm. is my focus, my time, my money, yeah. my, the thing I love to make. And then as you build that body of work, I give a series of prompts for how to talk about that, how to photograph that, how to share that. Mm-hmm. So you can set up, once you've set up a simple business model, and I can, I talk people through how to do that and then their branding model. So mm-hmm. having a website where they can sell, mm-hmm. having an email list where they can connect with their collectors, oh, optimizing okay. their social media, that's yeah. a big process. Mm-hmm. So learning to do that in a cohesive way where all you're mm-hmm. doing is you're creating this body of work and you're sharing the process of creating it mm-hmm. on social media And you're giving those people who connect with you a way to stay in touch by Mm -hmm. getting on your list to be the first to hear about the release of this collection Mm -hmm. and then releasing this collection online. 
mm-hmm. not necessarily in a physical gallery. You can do that too, mm-hmm. but online gives you so many options for not having the huge expense of exhibiting, Absolutely. but being able to connect in mm-hmm. a very broad way. So that, right. that process, there's a lot of little how-tos along the way, mm-hmm. but that idea of building your portfolio, your collection, while you're building your audience in your business at the same time means when your paintings are ready, mm-hmm. your buyers are ready. Mm-hmm. And you're the one who's got the contact information for those people because they're on your list. Wow. They're not hidden. Mm-hmm. It's not some art show where your work sells and you have no idea who bought it. Right. Yes. Or a gallery yeah. that can close along with all the contact lists and right. you actually don't oh. have that right. relationship. Yes. Actually, that happened to me. I, I, w- I was working with a gallery in Philadelphia and they closed. And, um, you know, I had sold a lot of paintings through this gallery and they just disappeared. And I was like, man, wow. if, if there had been some kind of a process where, you know, just more transparency, where I was just, I was allowed to have the contact info. And, um, and actually, um, I talked to my clients about this too. Like, you can actually talk to your gallery about this because, what you don't want to happen is um, for the gallery to feel that you are going to steal clients from them. Yes. Um, and so I recommend being like super upfront with the gallery and being like, listen, if you give me their contact info or um, if you set up a studio visit perhaps with this person who loves my art and is buying it, and then you're welcome to come too, and we can still keep our commission split, but it, you know, it just opens things up. Um, yes. So I, I do recommend that um, artists do that if at all possible with a gallery so that they have a little bit more agency. Um, and, and also I think that that builds trust with the gallery, you know, like we, uh, it's, it's a way for the gallery to potentially make more money too, you know? Exactly. When they see that you're willing to honor that and that if a client who's come to you through them, that you're still willing to honor that relationship of commission, Mm -hmm. whether it's the full commission as it was sold in the gallery or you have some other agreement with them. But when there's a initiated from you, this I want to honor this relationship and Mm -hmm. respect this relationship and this is how I plan to deal with it. I'm not about being in competition with you, but I'm also working with you to market my work. And if you've set that up, if you're early on, you, you don't have gallery representation yet, but you've got this in place first, you're in a great position for negotiating with a gallery who want to take you on because they can see too there's an advantage for them because you're already able to market yourself and you're able to um, honor this relationship work in trust and openness uh, acknowledge the expense that they're going to to market your work and to bring in these clients absolutely I I agree there should be transparency and a win-win situation absolutely because I don't know, like artists do complain about how much galleries take, but galleries take a lot of work. I mean, um, you know, first of all, the, the rent for the space um, and then also the time and energy that they spend in promoting artists' work is no joke. And, um, you know, without that time and energy, you would have to be paying someone to do that for you or doing it yourself and not painting. So, um, so I, I think it's fair for the most part. For sure. Mm -hmm. And if you can, in an ideal world, you would get to have both. You get to have that great relationship with galleries and you're also independent so that if the worst situation happens and they they have to close for some reason, you're 
still in charge of what's happening with you. It's not all in someone else's hands and those contacts are yours. Yes, I totally agree. Um, so what are you working on in your own art practice now, Fiona? What's our, what are you excited about? I'm excited about landscape. I'm, I'm also excited about birds and the tiny details. I'm a flower lover. And one of the things that I've been working on, although slowly during COVID, um, I've been doing a project with my daughter called Tiny Wings. And it's a way of sharing her journey, our journey with autism. Oh. And it comes from a story when uh, she was very small and didn't speak and share very much. Mm -hmm. We read a, a picture book, a beautiful artist representation of the All Creatures Great and Small hymn. Mm -hmm. And she just loved it. We read it over and over and over and over. You know, um, all things bright and beautiful, all creatures great and small. Mm -hmm. And after we'd read this book over for a, a few weeks, she stopped me one day and she pointed to this little lace wing moth on the window and she said, look, mummy, tiny wings. Oh. For a five-year-old who did not ever say, look, mummy, mm -hmm. about anything, I mm -hmm. just about fell over. Aww. So it became a game for us to look for tiny wings, tiny mm -hmm. birds. And um, we were actually at a luxury art retreat that I was running a couple of years ago and a little bird hopped up to the table and I shared with the other women at lunch this story and mm -hmm. one of them said you should write a book yeah you should write about this and I talked to my daughter who's was working in a library at the time as a library assistant and absolutely loves books yeah we've been working on it and it's been oh, really challenging wonderful. yeah for, to stick with the writing side of it mostly be her because of anxiety with all all of the COVID transition it's been a very anxious time right. but we're still chipping away and so I've been doing little watercolors of birds and um, bees and all sorts of tiny like tiny birds mm -hmm. um, things that have tiny wings ducklings um, so I've been really enjoying that but honestly in during that time too that we've all had a big time of evaluation, haven't we, in the last couple of years. Yeah. And for me, just realising the teacher part of me is so strong that it's okay for that to take, for that to be my number one choice yeah. and to focus on my clients in the profitable artist method. Mm -hmm. And that means things for my own art making. That mm -hmm. means that there is less of a focus there. And as artists, it's so hard to plan, not because we don't know how, but because it means saying no to things we're really passionate about. Yeah. yeah. So that's really hard to feel yeah. that my painting in a way is on the back burner. But for me at this stage, it feels like a really mm -hmm. right choice. It's, it's a way of understanding who I am, who I've always been. Yeah. And yeah, putting that first. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing all that. I can't wait till your book comes out. Um, that sounds amazing. Um, I have a nephew, he's six months old and, um, he would probably love that. So you'll have to let me know when it comes out and I'll buy it. Oh, lovely. We're, yeah. yeah. We're still thinking there's so many different versions we could do it. Cause part of it, she's telling her story of what it's, of these key memories. And for us, because she's now in her twenties, mm -hmm. we have the the ability to look back and say this is what it has been like for us hang in there mm. pursue your dreams because even if it feels like you're dealing with health issues anxiety issues epilepsy issues whatever associated conditions you've got and we have a laundry list mm. <laughs> there is still hope to 
to pursue your dreams, your gifts, look at who you are and how you bring that to the world. And that's what we're telling in this story. That's so, cool. yeah, we'd like to tell the, the kids version and the, and the mom's version. Okay. Okay. Oh, I like that. Wonderful. All right. Well, and I know that you have, um, you have a freebie as well. So, um, so people can get your guide about how to start selling your work online, right? That's right. Yes, you can go to fionavalentine.com mm -hmm. and you'll find the free guide there that talks through some of the things we talked about today on how to start selling your art or how to start selling more of your art if you've right. already been doing it, but uh -huh. you're looking at some of those um, how to make this really work questions. Yeah. And then um, I'm going to link all of your, all your links to your social media, also to your program. So that'll all be in the show notes. So people can, can just look down there and find everything. Um, Lovely. Yeah. yeah. And come join me at the Confident Artist Facebook group. There's a real community there of artists encouraging each other and learning and putting their work out into the world. Oh, wonderful. Yes. I'll have to join too. Um, yeah. I'd love that. Yeah. So um, is there anything else that you wanted to share? Any last, um, any last insights um, before we get off the phone today? I guess I'd just like to encourage your audience in their own love of painting and their own journey with being professional painters with a classical interest, as I know many of them are, classical training. Mm -hmm. It's okay if it's challenging. If, okay if it takes some time to find your path. Mm -hmm. But hang in there, keep going, keep nurturing that dream that you've got because it is possible. You can find those who love what you do and build a life that you love where you're balancing all of the parts of your life, pursuing mm -hmm. your painting and just walking that out in a way that is right for you. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Fiona. I loved talking with you today. It was really wonderful. And um and we'll definitely be in touch more. And um, well, yeah, I, I just, I, I love what you're doing and um, I love your work as well. And so we're going to definitely keep in touch. Lovely. It's been such a pleasure talking with you. It's so nice to find a kindred spirit on the other side of the world. Absolutely. Definitely. Have a great week and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Jessica. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Inspired Painter podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I would so appreciate you leaving a five-star review with your experience. This helps other people discover the podcast who might be encouraged by it as well. And if you are interested in booking a coaching call with me to create a plan for your art career and overcome limits that may be holding you back, please visit the link in the show notes or send me a DM on Instagram at Jessica Libor Studio. I can't wait to hear from you. Until next time, stay inspired.